Hi, uh, Joanna Harcourt Smith for FuturePrimitive.org. I am sitting here with Bob Kavnar, who has just uh, talked about the deep water disasters from Exxon Valdez to the Gulf. And um, he talks about changing the end game. Um, I was in the on the st- next to the stage a few minutes, and I saw that you were talking about the deep water horizon. Right. And uh, I think it would be very interesting for our listeners if you would do a little recap. Sure, sure. The 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 deep water horizon c- catastrophe was a result of what I believe would be forty years of failed energy policy. You know, the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, why are we even in the Gulf of Mexico in 5,000 feet of water drilling for oil? You know, why are we still burning 20 million barrels of oil a day? And what are the risks that we taking to get to that oil rather than change the way we live our lives in, in, in the U.S.? The, the problem that we have that most people don't realize is that we've lost control of our own destiny because we are so subject to other countries where we, that we import oil from. We import 70% of what we burn today, and half of that's from countries who hate us. So why are we not taking steps to reduce their consumption of oil rather than going into deeper and deeper water? Even if, even if we drilled all the deep water, we still couldn't supply the amount of oil that we need. We have to reduce the amount of oil that we burn. And that's mass transit, that's other forms of electricity, that's renewables, that's uh, just basic stewardship of the resources that we've we've been given. And our leadership has been such that we uh, have abdicated that responsibility, and our leaders have abdicated that responsibility for 40 years. And then we find ourselves witnessing the kind of catastrophes that we saw in in the deep water horizon. Well, I, I have a burning question for you. Um, during the Deepwater Horizon catastrophe, which I understand is still still has far-reaching um, consequences, mm-hmm. um, I still had to fill up my car every three days, mm-hmm. and uh, I felt a very deep level of shame and guilt. Um, what can I do as a one person out there who goes to the who has to go to the gas station every day? You know, and we all I mean, need and, and and most of the United States does need to go to the gas station. And those who ride mass transit are riding on trains that even though they're electric, the electricity is generated by coal. You know, which 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 is which is fouling the air. What we what we have to do is reduce our own carbon footprint as much as we can. So if you fill up your car, make it a Prius or a small car or or if you're if you're able to ride mass transit. Or if none of those are available, you go to City Hall City Hall and you bang on the desk and say, we want we want a hybrid bus in town to take us around to where we need to go. It it only change only happens from the outside. And when when uh, you know, LBJ was given credit for the Civil Rights Act, 1964. It wasn't really LBJ. It was really Martin Luther King and all of his 
people who were working with him, they forced change from the outside. LBJ saw the handwriting on the wall and got in the boat. And that's the way change happens. It never happens for those who are elected because those who are elected have one job, raise money to get reelected. And, and that's what it's all about. I've been involved in Washington for years, and I've been so disappointed on both sides, um, the lack of leadership. And I have to be as hard on the Democrats as I am on the Republicans because the Democrats have been in power now for two years under the president, President Obama, but then the two years previous to that, and there really hasn't been much material change. There's been some, but we have not taken the tough steps of mandatory fuel standards. We still, the, the cars we burn, the burn gasoline today have worse mileage than 20 years ago. Wow. Why is that? You know, the, the, there, there, there are some who say if we could just change our fuel consumption to what is the, the average fuel consumption in Europe for cars, we wouldn't import any Middle East oil. It's those kinds of things that we can do now. We can demand that kind of change now. But it's up to each individual to, 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 to speak out and to force our leadership to finally do something. Why did that disaster happen in the, in the Gulf? How did it happen? Bad judgment, bad design, poor decision-making. The, 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 the challenge here is that in the deep water, in most drilling, but especially in the deep water, the, the margins of error are very, very thin. You don't have much room for mistakes. And the biggest problem in any industry, but especially this industry, is success. Because the more you're successful, the more chances you take, the more challenges you, you, you undertake, and the more you begin to kind of cut corners. You know, this rig had not had an accident in seven years, a reportable accident in seven years. Well, when you have a rig like that, this worked so well for so many years, they begin to turn this off, not turn that alarm off, back away a little bit. Oh, yeah, I know the book says that, but let's do it this way. And that's what happened. And so, you, so, so right now, BP is blaming the 35-year-old tool pusher who happens to be dead and can't defend himself. Oh, wow. But that 35-year-old tool pusher had 30-year guys over him who were making judgments and putting pressure on him to get the well finished. And with, with, the, with the pressure of time, the pressure of the well itself being very hard to control, they wanted to get off that well. And so they started cutting corners. They, they pushed. I don't think it was about money as much as it was, it was about time. And I really feel like that they skirted their normal decision-making process, put too much responsibility on the tool pusher, and abdicated that responsibility from those in, in, in management. And you saw what happened. So uh, in your uh, view, what is the future of oil? You know, unfortunately, I am not very... Uh, optimistic. I'm afraid uh, that we're going to have to have a big crisis in the U.S. before there's enough fortitude to, to, to do something. You know, I, I have been working for a number of years to to, to branch into other parts of, of, uh, of energy. In fact, I just I just took over a, a renewable energy company in the first of October, trying to live my own life the way I the way I talk about it, and that is. 
uh, uh, trying to reduce my own fuel consumption, at the same time trying to produce cleaner fuels. And so that, that, that's, that, that's what we have to do here. We have to all take personal responsibility for it and, and because our leaders won't do it. So step by step, how do you as a human being living in America reduce your fuel consumption? You drive as little as possible, and when you do drive, you, drive, you, you try to be as efficient as you can with your, with your fuel. Uh, Al Gore uh, does a lot of carbon offsets. He buys a lot of carbon offsets to, to, to help try to neutralize his own carbon footprint. I think that's a good idea, but that's not enough. It's really not enough. The, the, the way we do this is to create an environment that allows renewable fuels to be competitive. And that means long-term investment patterns, long-term government uh, programs that help those investment patterns go in place, and then consistency in the way we apply, apply them. One of the reasons that wind doesn't work very well in the states is because the investment horizon for tax credits is so short. Mm-hmm. Nobody with money will invest in a program that may go away in three years. Uh-huh. And so, so in France, when they first started wind, they pushed 10 years out, 15 years out. And, and, and now much of France's electricity is uh, generated by wind. When they went to nuclear, nuclear is controversial. But if you standardize it, if you go fourth generation low waste, and you're consistent in the way you apply it, then you can have a country like France that generates not a lot of waste, but they, they generate 80% of their electricity with nuclear. They actually export electricity to, the, to Eastern Europe that burns coal. We have to get off of the, the large carbon molecules. We've got, to, we've got to get off of coal. We've got to get off of, of crudes onto, onto as light of fossil fuel as possible, which is actually pure methane. We also have to... to do things like solar. You know, we have almost no solar in the U.S. I live in the South most of the year, and it's perfect for solar. The amount of solar you see, zero. Because nobody thinks thinks it's important because they just go to the Shell station and fill up their gas tank, mm-hmm. or they just turn on the switch and electricity's there because we're burning oil, gas, and coal to burn to, to, for electricity. I don't believe that we should have any electricity generated by fossil fuels. It needs to be generated in other ways. Can we get there this year? No, but if we start now, yeah. we can at least get there. The problem is we can't get started because our leaders are weak. They're terrible. Something uh, very important stuck in my mind from what you said. You spoke about a major crisis. What do you think a major crisis would look like? Catastrophe. A major crisis would be people in Chicago freezing in the dark because they had a blackout. Uh, uh, huge, huge populations not being not being able to get around because there's fuel shortages. Those kinds of crises. You, if if you want to get a, a picture of what it looks like, go to Houston after about two weeks after a hurricane. When, when you when you go to, when you you're in Houston and there's a hurricane that comes through or comes close, everything stops. Long lines at gas stations. There's no fuel. You can't get to work. There's no traffic lights. There's, it's just it's just a small picture of what happens. It, the, the last two hurricanes that have come through our part of the world have really given me a sense of just how fragile, how brittle 
our infrastructure our infrastructure is. You, when people start to panic about where their base needs come from, they hoard. They, they hoard like crazy. Mm-hmm. You hoard, you get lines, you get shortages, people get hurt, people die. Bleak. It's bleak. I'm concerned. You're concerned. I'm very concerned. Yeah. And it's good to pass on that concern to people. Yeah. Uh, what would you like to say in closing? I guess the thing that uh, the message would be the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result. You know, it, it's it, 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 it's a, it's remarkable to me. I talk to guys in my industry all the time. They complain about regulation taking money out of their pocket. But then at the same time, they complain about their own relatives dying earlier from cancer. But they don't make the connection that maybe in the air and the water that they're drinking and breathing that causes that cancer. And they're more concerned about the immediate how much money's in my pocket. And it's a it's a it's a pervasive problem in the industry that I continue to try to to try to, to change. But it's with our motivations the way they are, it's very, very difficult. So really it takes a change in behavior to change the world. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Future Primitive is made possible by the Marion Institute. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider supporting our work by making a tax-deductible contribution online at futureprimitive.org.